You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This is my third time back to to be here and to serve, but also to be served. One of the things about coming here to the cathedral, you couldn't have said it better, Zach, thank you for your gracious introduction and and, uh, gospel partnership ministry, is to know the people of the Cathedral Church of the Advent is to know the Advent. And I already got my day started. Uh, I got it started last night with Wes and then Troy and Gil and then Zach. So I'm already full of the joy and hospitality that comes from being here. And I'm looking forward to the next day or so here and lunch afterwards. And so it's a great joy to be back, but let's dive in to this passage. A few years ago, this John 13 is a kind of classic Monday Thursday passage. It is the passage that's read during Monday Thursday. And a few years ago, at a, at, at a worship service for Monday Thursday, the gospel's being read and the deacon started sobbing, reading the fuller passage of John 13. And I asked her, what, what about the text moved you so much? And she said, just as I have loved you. I mean, the, the words of Jesus coming out, just as I have loved you. She said, I was flooded with the awareness of all that Jesus did because of his love for me. And it was overwhelming. I love watching people cry when they're not supposed to because they get overwhelmed and caught up in the moment. It's actually a beautiful thing. And to hear what got her attention made it even more beautiful. But this passage isn't just beautiful, it's also daunting. I mean, she paid attention to just as I have loved you. What got my attention was right before and after it, you are to love one another just as I have loved you. That first part is not beautiful. (laughs) Uh, It's scary. It's intimidating. Just as he loved me, the very thing that made her cry out of joy of what Jesus did on her behalf to reconcile her to God is the very same thing that I read as a threat in intimidation. His love was so amazing that it can drive you to tears or the expectation of what the just as he loved us can cause fear or even despair. That's what I want to explore, is just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. Uh, three quick points. This is easier to kind of just three hooks to take it away. The first hook is Jesus is giving a command. This is not a preference or a hope that you might love one another. It is a requirement. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And the commandment is to love It's not to treat others with some minimum amount of civility or attention or respect. It is to love, to lay down your life 
for the flourishing of others. Exactly what Jesus does and did for us. It's caring about the other more than yourself. Planning for the other's comfort, needs, and even desires more than your own. And we're commanded to love our neighbors, and then Jesus decides to one-up it, even your enemies. And G.K. Chesterton says, Jesus says both, love your neighbor and love your enemy, probably because they are the same people. That's actually funny, but um, <laughs> if you're married or a parent or you know, anything, if you relate to other people, I mean, Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. Um, I hear this and I'm thinking, loving my enemy? I'm still trying to figure out how to love my wife more than I love myself, and I think she's amazing, beautiful, smart. I married her for a reason. My kids are 10 and 12. They're adorable and brilliant in many ways, and I, I'm, I wrestle with loving them more than I love myself, and so this gets our attention. I think we need to feel the weight of this command and feel how impossible this is left to our own devices. What are we supposed to do? I mean, be nice, that's easier, but love others the way I have loved you? Are we supposed to fake it till we make it? Are we supposed to conjure love out of our indifference, anxiety, or annoyance? Like, how are we supposed to accomplish this? None of those things will work. I think the only thing that will actually work is what's at the beginning of John 13. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The command to love is not left completely bare. The command is girded up in the fact that Jesus loved us to his fullest extent. The display of this is in between the first verse that I read and the last verse of John 13 is the washing of the feet. This is where he, he says... I love them to the end, and he takes off his outer garment and grabs the servant cloth and starts washing their feet, the task left for the lowest level of servants. And the cross is the ultimate, supreme display of God's love for us. John 5, 8 makes a direct beeline to this. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. There's a beautiful depiction of how this plays out in the Eucharistic prayers of the prayer book. And I know different years, different versions, so I'm I'm looking just at the 79. I haven't done a look into the 28 prayer book, and I'll do that later on afterwards. But there's, in the words of institution for the cup, in rite one, prayer one and two, in rite two, prayer A, B, C, and D, there's, there's three words that are used for every moment of the words of institution for the cup. Drink this, all of you. Now, this is particular to Matthew. Matthew's account has drink this, all of you. Mark, Luke, in 1 Corinthians does not have all of you. Only Matthew. It's a distinctive Matthean Matthean, uh, contribution to drink this, all of you. Probably because Matthew, as a tax collector, knew he was the outsider and felt the outside pressure and realized that he belonged because of what Jesus does for him by bringing him into his cohort. At the table on John 13 and in Matthew's gospel and account, Judas and Peter 
are there. John 13 actually goes through the interaction between Judas and Peter and Jesus. Matthew is clear that Judas is at the table and Peter is at the table. So the drink this all of you is Matthew's attempt to highlight for Judas and for Peter. Drink this all of you. This is shocking. For the disciples, sure, they get it because they're good and faithful so far. But Peter, who's going to deny, and Judas, who already betrayed, that's good news. If we think that we have sinned too much or too great or too often to receive the love of God, all of you makes us think again. That's an invitation to you to the Lord's table, all of you. And this is a scandalous kind of love. There's something about the idea that Jesus would look at Peter and Judas before and during their betrayal and invite them to the covenantal cup drinking. That is scandalous. And it reminds me of a story from a Bible translator working for a people group in Cameroon. And he was working to translate the idea that God loves people. And he started exploring their words for love. And this translator realized that all verbs in this language group have the same three options for an ending. A verb can end in an I, an A, or a U. And there's different tenses and they mean different things. So every word, every verb ends in an I, A, or U. But when it came for love, he only found two. D-V-I, D-V, in DVA, DVA, but there's no DVU, DVU. So, like a good translator, he went to the people on the ground and he said, okay, got all the local elderly men together, and he said, I need help translating. Can you DVI your wife? Can you love your wife, DVI? And they said, yes. That would mean that the wife had been loved but the love is gone. Divi, you had loved your wife, but the love is gone. I said, okay, got that. Can you devay your wife? And they said, yes. That's the kind of love that depends on the wife's actions. She would be loved as long as she remained faithful and cared for her husband well. So devi is love that you have that's gone. Deve is love that is sustained by behavior from the wife. And then he said, okay, can you devu your wife? I have not heard the word devu anywhere, but all the other verbs have three endings except for devu. And everyone laughed. And the elder of the elders stood up and said, of course not. If you said that you would devu your wife, you would keep loving her no matter what she did. Not even if she got you water, made you meals, even if she committed adultery, you would be compelled to just keep loving her. So no, you can't devue her. It doesn't exist. And the translator sat quietly for a while, and he asked, can God devue people? And there was complete silence for a few minutes. Then tears started to streak the faces of these elders, these weathered faces of the elders of the community. And finally, the elder of the elders responded. 
And he said, do you know what that would mean? That would mean that God kept loving us over and over while all the time we rejected his great love. That would mean that God is compelled to love us even though we've sinned more than any people. One simple vowel can change love from I love you based on what you do to I love you based on who I am. And so this passage of John 13, all of you, that's great, but devu is the love with which Christ loved his disciples. He loved them to the end, even and especially the betraying and denying ones. And that is the same devu love he has for you and me. We're commanded to love. Thank God he loves us to the end. But then the fruit of that is the end of the passage, the third point. Jesus' love makes it so you will love. You must love. Jesus loves you. You will love. Martin Luther says it like this in one simple sentence. The love of God does not first discover, but rather creates what is pleasing to it. The love of God isn't looking for something, oh, that's pleasing, I'll love you. It's going, he doesn't doesn't look for what's loving and pleasing. He makes what is loving and pleasing to him. That's the good news of God's love. God's love generates our love. The greatness of God's love for us is now the motivation for loving anyone else. And this unconditional love from God reframes how we relate to others. God has loved us in a way that gives life. And to those that have encountered the devu love, encountered the source of devu unconditional love, have been shown what love is, and the commandment to love one another can be read with hope finally. Not because we can conjure it out of our indifference or apathy or anything else, but because love is not alien to our experience. But this is really a focus not so much on the fruit of the gospel, but the actual gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has loved us to the end. And I want to close just by telling you a story that I think encapsulates this love of Jesus. It's a picture of the Davu love. It's a picture of the all of you love to Judas and Peter and his disciples. And it's a story about my daughter. Um, uh, she's, she's, she's my second daughter, Zoe. And we held her back one year because she's born in September, the end of September. And we wanted her to have her, she has an older sister who's just a year and a half or so older. So we thought having her one year behind her older sisters, that's not going to be helpful. The second child in the shadow, we held her back so she could be the leader of her class and told her, this is on purpose. We know it's not fun doing first grade over again, but you're going to be a leader because of who you are. And we're trying to set her up for that. And so she had become the leader of her class. People looked to her for various reasons. And there was another child who was added to the class. And this child's name is Francis. And Francis is a child with Down syndrome. And my daughter Zoe had been including her and using her influence to make it cool to hang out with Francis when other kids were, you know, different kids, people who are not atypical or who are typical, not typical, 
can cause fear. And, and Frances's mom was amazing, the way she talked to the parents and the students. And it was master. It was just beautiful to see her mom and Frances interact with all the other kids. But it, the story ends with uh, the teacher divided the two, the class into two groups for a competition. And my leader daughter is the anchor for her team. And Frances is the anchor for the other team. And it is neck and neck. They're, I think they were picking up... Um, cotton balls, which were to represent snowballs. It had some, we, we don't have snow in Florida, so I guess they throw you know, cotton around to make themselves feel better. And they were gathering up little cotton balls. And when I picked up my daughter from school, the teacher pulled me aside to tell me the story. And she said, this was a beautiful thing that I want her mom and dad to know about. And so she tells me the whole thing. There's two different camps. It's neck and neck. The winner of this last leg, Zoe and Francis, depends on their individual performance. And Zoe, my daughter, looked around and noticed that uh, she needed to go fast enough to look like she was trying her best, but not so slow that it was obvious that she was mailing it in. Because that's really, going slow is like, look at me, I'm being gracious. So she didn't go so slow, but she went fast enough to be competitive. And at the very end, my daughter accidentally dumped out her stuff. And the competition ends with Frances winning and all of the kids rallying around her, cheering at Frances's victory. And I told, uh, at dinner table, I told the, the, the story that the teacher told me and I said, Zoe, add in, what else happened? And she told some more stories about what happened in that day. And I said, Zoe, why did you do that? She said, because I love Francis enough to lose. If that's not a picture of Jesus Christ in John 13, loving us to the end, I can't give you a better story that Jesus Christ loved you enough to lose. He came off of his throne. He was treated as if he was a sinner. He took on this, the effects of a sin-filled world because he loved you and he loved me enough to lose. That kind of love, that's Davu love, and that will fuel you for your journey home to heaven, but also the journey through this life with his peaks and his valleys. Jesus loves you to the end. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.